much for tuning into the Inland Northwest Artisan Grain Podcast new series, Unpacking the Grain Shed. My name is Allie Schulteis, and I am a graduate student at the University of Montana and your host for the next eight episodes. I am here with my colleague, Colette Phelps from University of Idaho Extension. In this eight-part podcast series, we will be unpacking the Grain Shed, a cooperatively owned bakery, brewery, and restaurant in Spokane, Washington. Today, we are joined by the Grain Shed's four co-founders, Joel Williamson, Don Showerman, Teddy Benson, and Sean Duffy. Joel is joining us live from Amtrak, Don from his house in the Palouse in southeastern Washington, and Sean and Teddy are both live from the Grain Shed itself. This conversation is going to set some context for future discussions that we will be having on the Grain Shed's operations, such as their bakery, brewery, and the grains themselves. So let's jump right in. So Joel, would you mind starting us off and telling us a little bit about the Grain Shed? You got it. The Grain Shed is a brewery and bakery cooperative in Spokane, Washington. We're in the South Perry neighborhood, Spokane there, where Sean and Teddy and I all live. Um, We make artisan breads and pastries. Uh, We make local food dishes, and then we also make beer. And uh, kind of the big thing that ties all of that together is that it's it's all really focused on and made with locally grown grains from um, from our region. And when did the grain shed first open? Uh, almost two years ago now, I guess, or two years ago. Yeah, uh, we started sometime in June of 2018. Where did this idea for the grain shed come from? Yeah, um, I'll just tell my part of that story, but. Uh, born and raised in Spokane, and uh, in 2014, um, I co-founded with some other uh, small farmers in the area and my friend uh, Beth Robinette, Link Foods, which is a farmer cooperative that helps connect small growers of all kinds of food products in the area to, uh, to markets, you know, to universities, school districts, grocery stores, restaurants, all that kind of stuff. And through that work, starting in 2014 there, it, I just started thinking a lot more about the food system, started thinking a lot more about uh, how it all works or doesn't work and for who. And then uh, Teddy and I, um, Teddy is my brother-in-law, and we had been homebrewing together for a really long time. And so as we were brewing and as we were working on Link, uh, we kind of started to get really curious about where does all the malt come from that we brew these beers with? And once I kind of looked at that supply chain and realized what the answer to that was, which was pretty uninspiring. Um, It's just a very, very large, uh, highly consolidated supply chain at this point ever since, really ever since Prohibition was lifted. And so most of the malts that that are used to brew beers are just fairly thing. Yes. So um, really started to get curious about where do those malted grains come from that we we make beers with and, and what can we learn about those? And being in eastern Washington, surrounded by grain growers, that we were starting to meet through Link Foods, kind of like, well, I wonder if any of the grain we brew with comes from them um, or could come from them or could we even know that? And the answer was no, uh, we couldn't really know that. And so I, I then read a story shortly after that curiosity began about a small craft malting operation starting up in, in Massachusetts. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we can malt on a small scale. That would be really interesting. And then it turned out that it was kind of the very beginning in about 2012 there, even before Link Foods started, of this little craft malting revolution that was following the craft brewing industry. So I started talking to the co-op about it, and we ended up voting in 2015, uh, only a year in funds to start a small-scale malting operation there where we could help connect 
grain growers in our area to brewers and distillers and, and work with really interesting grains. And, you know, the first impetus for that was really just localization of malt. And then after that, right after we got started, Don actually, I think, read an article about us and, and, and called us and came and met Beth and I and told us about all the really interesting grains he was growing. And, and to be honest, I didn't even really know that much about grain at that point in time and, and thought, uh, wow, this is really interesting. I didn't realize there were this many different kinds of, of wheat and barley out there um, and that there were such a that there was such a wide gap between a modern hybridized wheat or barley and then the kinds of things that Don's growing. And so that started to be interesting. And Don wanted to have some of those grains malted. Um, he can tell his part of the story here, of course. But for us, what happened was once we started malting those and then Teddy and I would brew a batch of beer with every kind of new grain that we malted or new malt that we made at Link, and we were just blown away. I mean, we really didn't know anything about malts before we started making it. <laughs> and, and then that completely changed everything we thought we knew about brewing. And, and for the better, how much character they, they can have and how different they were from what we could buy commercially uh, really changed our perspective on brewing. At about the same time as I met Don, I was introduced to Sean at our neighborhood brewery <laughs> by, by someone there uh, who was like, yeah, you two need to talk. And Sean was baking up at uh, a bakery called Boozy's um, that was connected to a restaurant called Luna uh, up on the South Hill. And he had a stone mill and he was looking for local grain. And so this person said, oh, well, I think Joel has local grain. <laughs> I think Sean wants it. And so then we started working with him and delivering grain to him weekly. And, and uh, once I had heard from John, I told Sean about all the, the crazy things he was growing and his eyes lit up because he actually like, knew what those grains were. He had heard of them before and he was looking for interesting things. And so we thought, oh, geez, all of us really need to meet and just talk some more. And, and so we did that at a, at a beer festival in Spokane <laughs> and the rest is kind of history because uh, once we all started talking, we couldn't stop. We just kept thinking, oh, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if you could go to this place and you could eat these local grains and these really cool land race grains? and then taste those flavors in the bread and the food. But then you could also have a beer made of the same grains and taste it that way. As far as we could tell, nothing like that really existed. And um, we just talked about it for so long that eventually we took the leap and just made it happen. <laughs> Would you mind telling me a little bit about the structure of the grain shed and its cooperative nature and why you chose that structure for it? Co-ops are just a really interesting uh, ownership structure for me. And um, we started, you know, Link Foods in the same way, uh, where it's a worker and a farmer-owned cooperative. So uh, both the farmers that we that supply us, that we work with every day, and then, of course, the employees or the people that are working on the business every day are the two groups of people that we decided should should be the ones that come to own it, ultimately, and govern it. And that made a lot of sense. And then as we started talking about the grain shed, it just seemed like, oh, yeah, you know, it, this this kind of makes sense for us too, particularly in the bakery, brewery, restaurant industry, where sometimes it can be hard to find folks that that want to really commit to your organization and be part of it for a long time, or you know, hope to earn a, a decent wage and benefits. And, and so we thought, yeah, the co-op model, you know, makes a lot of sense even in the context of the grain shed. And and then of course we have growers like Don and like Beth and others that that we rely on for all of the things that we make. So. So we also made the Grain Shed a, a worker and farmer-owned cooperative. Different from Link in that I think over time it'll end up having more workers than farmers, whereas with Link, it's the other way. You know, we have a lot more farmers, about 50, 50 or 55 versus workers, where we only have about nine. So, yeah, it's just an interesting model to me. I really like that structure, and it 
helps make those that are really involved able to, to help control the, the business that they're part of and, and benefit from it when it's profitable in the future. Well, thank you so much, Joel. This will be the same question for everyone now, but I want to know, like, each of you is a master of your craft, whatever that craft is. So what motivated you to be part of a team that created the Green Shed? So I want to hear first from Don on this one. My story is that I was gone many, many years out and about, uh, but uh, grew up a uh, fourth generation uh, wheat farmer here in Eastern Washington. And when I returned, I noticed that, you know, a lot of the small farmers were having economic struggles. And so I took about a year to look at ways that could kind of solve, at least attempt to solve uh, that kind of a problem. And then uh, the obvious answer was to try to do something somewhat novel and have small scale value adding. Then it was necessary to determine what sector segment to go into value add. And so then obviously going with the strengths of Eastern Washington climate, soils, infrastructure, uh, it certainly looked like wheat and barley was a direction for me to go. So then to really value add, we wanted to go all the way to the last mile in terms of, again, economic viability for small to medium enterprise, farming enterprises, where then to be staked in the final product, which in this case then is beer and bread on a uh, retail level. So started to examine the lay of the land. And one of the key things that some pretty experienced guys told me was to look for major differentiation in the marketplace. And then concurrent with all of this was my growing awareness of uh, real ecological issues in the Palouse relative to the, the contemporary farming practices in the soil and the like. So these two things kind of converged together uh, in that timeline. And I happened to know a well-versed brewing consultant from Scotland, and he suggested that I look into landrace grains that were much more known in Europe than here. Land-raised grains are simply grains that were grown for thousands of years, naturally adapted to the local environments, and which can be kind of categorized as pre-hybridization. So started looking at that, and there was a real problem in trying to have a, have a brewery, a small brewery, focused on land-raised grains, value-added, and a vertically integrated platform. And that was, how can I malt this stuff? And I knew zero about malting. So I called up the major uh, multinational. That was an extremely short conversation when I said, uh, you know, could I just, you know, have a couple tons malted? They were holding back their laughter. And, and so then <laughs> looking for solutions there. That was the beginning of kind of the craft malt renaissance happening in the nation, certainly in the Pacific Northwest as well. And so I heard about this character named Joel in Spokane who was thinking about opening a uh, small malt house. And it was uh, an article in the business section, I believe, for the Spokesman Review. So I just called Joel up and said, hey, my name's Don. I'm trying to figure out to malt uh, some old ancient grains with. And um, that led to conversations and beers then with Sean at the Spokane Brew Festival in a, in a Vista Stadium, some whatever it was now, four or five years ago. That led us then to collaborative, working all the way through from the land-raised grains. I have farmers that grow for me also. And then um, 
with forming the grain shed. Uh, for me, then, that was really uh, proof of product and proof of concept in a vertically integrated platform that shows value adding all the way down to the retail level, meaning a pint of beer, a loaf of bread. Can you really quickly explain to me two terms that you use? You use vertically integrated and you use value added. Can you define both those for us? Vertical integration is under one umbrella that you participate in every aspect of a supply chain. In this case, from the soil all the way through to the pint of beer or the loaf of bread. True vertical integration is like a, a company would control everything 100%. I don't look at it that way. I look at partnerships, strategic alliances, where there's equity structured all through the different links of the supply chain. So again, in essence, then you are a stakeholder all the way from the soil, all the way to the end product. Value added be, can be taken in two contexts. The, the business you know, 101 idea of value added is that internally you're adding value economic value, monetary value, to each step of your process as you go all the way through. The other more current idea of value proposition is that you have shared values, which is very important, I think, in the grain shed model as well, where there is uh, sensitivity and certainly overt shared values in terms of workers' rights, accessibility, product for all levels of the consumer groups, Certainly health, Sean can talk to you more about that in the bread aspect, but health issues, soil health issues, stewardship of land and community all the way through. One of the refreshing things working with Sean and Ted and Joel is that we do all have these shared values. We do come at it from a slightly different perspectives. And again, me, uh, primarily from helping small farmers have a platform or architecture to add value to what they're doing. So Sean, can I ask you next, what motivated you to be a part of the Grain Shed and one of the co-founders of it? Can you explain to me a little bit of what your role is and what motivated you? Yeah, moving to, to Spokane, I wanted to open up a bakery of some sort because you open up a bakery. I wanted to open up a bakery in a grain growing region. Spokane a, is a good one. I uh, started talking to people and then um, found Joel obviously at a bar and uh, we talked about grain. You can always tell those grain folks because lots of people don't like to talk about grain because their eyes just like sort of glaze over like what's this guy why is he talking to me about grain at a bar and so i found joel we started talking about grain it was good i wanted to open up something close to my house and i was looking at all sorts of different areas all in the meantime i was baking i was doing a bread subscription out of my backyard teddy and joel and all that stuff they would pick up bread and, and whatnot and then uh joel had a friend who owned this building that we're in now we came to look at it and uh yeah really took off from there that's the, the short of it wonderful and what's special about the bread that is baked at the grain shed well i mean the the biggest thing in, in my opinion is the freshly milled flour milling flour fresh is it's such a lost component of bread i mean every part of the bread baking process has changed from the seed to the way you farm it the way you mill it to the way you ferment it, bake, like everything's changed since the very beginning. And I think actually milling your grain properly, uh, milling the right grain uh, is such a, an important part of the bread baking process in, in flavor. And like whenever I approach it, I approach it in flavor, but it has these other benefits like health benefits, just like, you know, it's the, the way you work with it, the way, the way you ferment it, it, it's all different whenever you just start with like a very solid first step. And also coming from a, like the culinary world, it's very easy to take like ingredients like tomatoes or berries, stuff that has a lot of flavor right out the bat and treat them properly. But 
whenever you're a baker, you're trying to take a very simple ingredient like flour. Some people might say it's tasteless and you're trying to impart as much flavor into it as possible. And so starting with the right grain and freshly milled flour from a flavor aspect is you're way ahead of the game. Teddy, same question for you now. What motivated you to be a part of the team that is the Grain Shed? And what is your role in that team? Yeah, so I, I actually am a, a little bit different in the fact that I have no background in business at all. I'm not from the food industry or beverage industry. I'm actually an elementary school teacher. So I, you know, Joel and I have been brewing for uh, home, you know, we're home brewers for almost a decade before the Grain Shed started. And as we were looking towards this, it was something that I you know, just firmly believed in. It was, it was something unique. It was something different. It was not just another brewery making the same beer that everyone else is making, because that seems really not enjoyable or fun. So as we were going, it was kind of fortuitous where we, we opened up right as my school year ended. So I was able to be here for, for the entirety of the first summer that we were open. And, and as Joel and I were developing more recipes and brewing more and things like that, it was really nice and, and also had the opportunity to, to work the bar and, and work here pretty much every day that we were open for several months, which was really enjoyable and, and gave me a different appreciation for all of this. But then as we continued going. I worked one more year in the schools. And as Joel moved down to Portland for two years, as, as his wife, my sister, is doing a, a medical fellowship down there, it was kind of a nice opportunity and time for me to be able to step in into more of a, an active role as the brewer. And then as, as that's gone on, I've really learned to love brewing and particularly looking at all of the unique grains that we use from Don's grains to other unique grains um, that are grown regionally and, and being able to see, you know, kind of that difference in flavor for something that, you know, Sean mentioned it, where you take something really unique and, and honestly, generally not that flavorful in a grain and you process it right, you grow it right, you treat it right, and you get a completely flavorful outcome in, you know, beer or bread or pastry or whatever it is. So that's been kind of a, a really interesting piece for me is going through brewing a lot of different beers over the last two years and being able to see okay now that we've gotten more comfortable using these grains using different varieties and things like that being able to actually go a little bit deeper and create more complex recipes and recipes that have different flavor profiles and things like that because of comfort with these grains so that's been kind of the brief evolution of that for me. Joel, do you have anything to add to this previous discussion about what motivated you to be a part of this team at the Grain Shed? Well, I'll say one more thing about these wonderful partners of mine, which is that they're just super inspirational. You know, I mean, uh, that was the real impetus is that Don was just, he took such a huge risk to, to find these grains from all over the place where they barely existed anymore and then figure out how to grow them really hard. Sean uh, is absolutely amazing at what he does. Uh, he really does. <laughs> he, he'll say this sometimes, but I really believe it, that he really does bake bread the, the hardest way possible and, and the slowest way possible. And it's absolutely fantastic. And, and then what Teddy's been able to do with all the beer recipes in the last year is phenomenal as well. And we've always had a fun time inventing things together. So it's, yeah, it's just been such a wonderful adventure with amazing people that do have shared values, but uh, I just, I love what we're creating together. So that's a huge inspiration. That's all I would add. <laughs>
Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the community that you guys are in, in the Perry District in Spokane. So what has the response been within that neighborhood um, toward the grain shed? And then how has that changed or has it changed since COVID-19 has started? And some would say that there is a greater emphasis on local food. I'll, I'll just start with the general reception from the neighborhood from the beginning, and then I'll talk about COVID-19. You know, we, we, we actually landed on this spot because of the neighborhood, all three of us, you know, with the exception of Don, who lives down on the farm, the other three of us, we live in the Perry neighborhood. So when we were starting, actually before all of us kind of formally decided to move forward with this project together, Sean actually had a letter of intent with a, a developed or an in-development neighborhood called Kendall Yards. That's, uh, you know, Kendall Yards is cool, but it's, it's a little bit sterile. Um, and so we ended up turning that down because we have this location. It's in the place that we all live. It's in the place that we all love. And with that, we've actually had a really exceptional reaction and, and response from our neighborhood to the point where we have people that are in here literally multiple times a day that are neighborhood folks. They walk in all the time. So we've, we've really been treated wonderfully by our neighborhood from the get-go. We we're not a, a large brewery at all, but breweries kind of function in a couple of different ways. Large breweries function around distribution. Small breweries function around neighborhoods. And we've been really fortunate with that, that we do have such a strong neighborhood that for whatever reason loves what we're doing. As a result, during coronavirus, like that's just continued to grow. Uh, but also that's kind of floated us through this, where we've had this really exceptional body of customers that have been willing, able, and, and happy to come in and support us through thick and thin, where when we were first changing all of our operations and things like that, we, we had people that were coming in and buying $500 gift cards and things like that to support and, you know, very actively doing whatever they could to be part of, of you know, making sure that we were safe and healthy and, and able to continue through all of these things. And as a result, we have, we've been relatively comfortable through, through the coronavirus. And uh, that is, I, I think, hugely thanks to our neighborhood and the, the people that we continue to see on a daily basis coming in to buy bread, pastries, whatever it is. You've developed a lot of, of good relationships with the neighborhood. Where we're at in the Perry District, uh, so we're not on Perry Street, which is sort of like the, like the hot and happening street. We're sort of off on newer. So there's lots of like interesting characters around here, which is the, which is the way it should be. But whenever I wanted to open up a bakery, I wanted to, you know, you open it up in a neighborhood especially in like a small town. I never understood like opening up a bakery in, in like downtown or something like that. Because you need the neighborhood to support you, especially like during times like this. And the neighborhood has, they show up every day. Whenever we were doing only pre-orders, they would pre-order. Yeah, like I've developed a lot of great relationships just from customers. So yeah, I would say like, you know, having neighborhood support for a small brewery bakery is, is definitely the, the best location-wise for a business. It's been really interesting, I think, with coronavirus and when it first started happening, you know, everybody went on walks. I don't know if that was true in Moscow and, and Missoula, but everybody started going on walks, you know, us included. And it was really funny walking around the neighborhood and just seeing all of our customers everywhere, not knowing that, you know, a huge portion of the people that we see every day literally live within blocks of our houses that I didn't know. And I, I knew, I know Sean was a little bit more active with walking around before coronavirus happened, but it was really interesting seeing like all of these people that are not only our customers, but truly our, our neighbors as well. It's kind of a, kind of a cool thing. From my perspective, uh, again, with my entree into this as wanting to 
assist converting compromised chemical soil to more biological soil. It's important for uh, what I'm doing to have other farmers, growers, to convert their acreages. That means they need outlets for that grain. So from my perspective, it's kind of when a handful of farmers adopt a neighborhood and vice versa, a neighborhood adopts a small number of farmers with some artisan processors, bakers, brewers, to establish their own grain shed in different neighborhoods. One of the things we see from the COVID-19 issue, given the centralization of what's going on in the whole food space, food and beverage space, the issue of local food security. I think we've all seen the, the breakdown of those supply chains where often the big box stores didn't have flour, and that's still uh, to some extent. So our neighborhood in South Perry, and which could be replicated in other neighborhoods as well. I know we never did run out of flour. The guys even, they put up online ordering and were sending it to lots of places throughout the state to people that uh, couldn't get flour. So again, this is a shared value issue of trying to develop food security in light of real structural issues that's uh, going on now in the, the macro food world of centralization. I have a question uh, to the story of you know, adopting a neighborhood in the community. How do you tell the story of the grains and how they come from this local farm and that they're different? Is that both experiential or are there other ways that you bring that story to your neighborhood and to your community? I think it has a lot to do with Sean and Teddy and Joel in that, uh, again, because our emphasis is on neighborhood and, and certainly one, we want to move the beer, uh, you know, within Spokane and other places. But even that as well, when people come in, it's really one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Teddy and Sean and Joel, you know, have done really good things with all of our guys and girls who are working and uh, they're very conversational about what we're doing. And so our emphasis is kind of on the one-on-one. -on -one. Certainly there's media things like this and uh, newspapers and the like that help it. But uh, really it's a, in business world, there's two ways. One's just purely a transactional ex exercise. Uh, we come from the relationship side. So we're very much into uh, developing the relationships and, and you know the guys are just doing a really good job with that i think with the fact that we have things named a lot differently than what people are used to on both kind of the bread and and beer side where we you know a lot of our loaves and and beers as well are just named after the grains that are in them so when people see turkey red as the name of a bread they have no idea what the hell that means. So <laughs> they need a little bit of coaching on, initially we had so many people, I mean, it was probably every person that we would have to go through every single loaf, explain what was unique, why it is named what it is, what the grain is, you know, purple Egyptian barley being a loaf, people need to understand what that is. And that brings up the question of malt because there's malt in it and things like that. Same with the beer. You know, people don't understand what Scott's Bear is for a beer. That's not a pale ale. It's not a, you know, it's not named something that people understand. So it, you know, it's just a lot of direct communication, one-on-one -on -one talking to folks. We also, you know, social media plays a part there where there's been a lot of, particularly when we were young, a lot of communication of, of what we were doing through that as well. It's also touchstones where there's culturally very relevant things that are going on now in the whole food industry. So it really opens good doors to soil health, human health, and just our approach in terms of not only ag practice, but uh, just, you know, like Sean doing, uh, working with the grains, milling, 
doing uh, the long ferment, all of these things that he knows and I know nothing about. But I mean, these are historically proven approaches. And the bottom line with the land-raised grains, the beer and, and the bread, it's all about big flavor at the end of the day, but doing it in a manner of stewardship, not only with the local community, but with the soil as well. Thank you. So when you think about the green shed and you know the future of the green shed, what comes to your mind? What are your hopes and aspirations? You know, are you thinking that you'll have another green shed? Is one green shed enough? Hmm. Yeah, that's always a it's an ongoing struggle and, and conversation for all of us. I think a lot of the times we feel like, man, what we're doing right now in this funky little building in the neighborhood is fantastic and, and perfect. And why would we why would we mess with that? And then the only other thought that I think, at least for me, enters my mind about that changes that conversation to, I don't know, what what else should we do is is more about like, can we be creating more jobs that are really good doing this kind of work if we if we expand it somehow? Can we be using more acreage of, of this good kind of farming like Don's doing? Can we be supporting more of these small farms? And, and to do that, we would certainly need to be using more grain, right? And so those are the, I think, the way in which we think about and talk about well, why would we or what would we do um, to expand and and kind of along that line, yeah, we've thought about, well, maybe we should try for a second location. I don't know. Sell more beer that way. Maybe focus on some really interesting foods that way. We've, we've also tossed around the idea of do we get into some kind of a small wholesale baking situation just because we have a lot of restaurants and coffee shops and grocery stores and that have our bread and say, oh, man, can we can we buy that and sell it in our place? And, you know, the answer is usually no right now because we just we can't make enough uh, in our small location to support that. So, yeah, so we, we certainly think about all of that stuff. But I think through that lens of can we use more more acreage for good grains and can we can we create more good jobs for folks? And also, we're a pretty young enterprise. You know, we're still ironing a lot of things out, uh, you know, just dialing everything in. But uh, we certainly do have uh, oratory conversations over beers about this. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it all unfolds. Sean or Teddy, okay. anything to add about your thoughts of the future of the grain shed? Yeah, I, I kind of think that Joel hit on it there. I know that one of our most active things that we're really trying to pursue is is some wholesale baking capacity. I know that we're on the on the beer side, our kind of next frontier is having more capacity for distribution beers and things like that. But apparently you need storage to have that uh, be a real thing and storage <laughs> is expensive. And we especially want it to be cold, which makes it even more difficult. So that kind of fits within the, uh, could fit within the wholesale baking portion as well so i think those are kind of our big big things but you know joel's thing with how can we make sure that we are making good jobs and using good grain and things like that as much as we can is kind of that driving factor behind what next decisions do we make and and so on but don also is put on with we're pretty young we're you know we're only two years old this is not not something that's been here for 10 years so trying to figure that part out and the balance and tipping point between what do we do when and all that stuff is always fun and then you know we had a giant pandemic, which has really made things a lot more easy fun, right? So that's the other portion. Yeah. Yeah, that'll change your priorities. <laughs> Let's see, stay open, <laughs> keep employing people, check. Absolutely. And it's incredible what you've done in growing to the grain shed from 2014, starting Link Foods, you know, developing Link Malt, 
building these relationships, figuring out your structure, and being open for two years. I mean, that's a remarkable story. And that is just a testament to the ability of all of you to be part of a really strong team because it takes a team to be able to move that fast. And I think what I'm hearing is you're parts of a lot of strong teams across the food system. You know, we're looking at from the farm and the partnerships that Don has been talking about with other growers through that entire food system to developing this business. And there's no separation between those linkages. They all need to work really well for you be, to be able to have these amazing products in the grain shed. All relationships. It fundamentally, it, it's all relationships, like what you're saying, that each of our kind of unique segments develops a, a part, but the cohesiveness of bringing all those things together in our own areas of learning, I guess, is a better way. I really appreciate your willingness to also be so open and transparent to help other people learn about what the opportunities might be and to start thinking about, you know, can they create something that is unique to their community? Can they adopt a native neighborhood? Can they create partnerships? And I know from being in different conferences where you all have spoke of and you know the conversations that have come out of those and my colleagues in Moscow, there is a lot of interest around, you know, how can we be transforming some of our dryland agriculture landscape in a way that supports our, our collective community and our values around local food. And so I really appreciate your sharing this model and being willing to tell your story. Colette was just talking about this model that you guys have formulated together. What advice would you have for other people, like individuals in Moscow who are wanting to implement something similar? What advice would you have for them? Courage, reasonably good uh, experiential base of your potential teammate and uh, some adult beverages. <laughs> well put. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think Don hit it. And, and I would just say, just, I don't know, reaching out, right? Like reaching out to people like us. We certainly, all of us in our different ways, learn from so many other people throughout the country or the world that are all involved in different parts of this work. You know, I mean, Sean's talked with other bakers doing this kind of work around the country. Teddy and I have talked to lots of other brewers. I've, I've talked to all those small-scale maltsters. We just all, in these small industries like this, need to be willing to be open and ask for help and learn from each other and because none of us really feel like we're competing with each other unlike traditional business so it also makes all those conversations possible which is really fantastic but you just have to you have to know that it isn't traditional business and you do need to reach out to all those different networks and just learn as much as you can and learn from everyone's failures and you know we certainly have our own too i think that's what's helped us succeed but that would be my advice too you know there's all of all of those small-scale folks out there and they're usually really willing to share but also like once you make that decision like there were a lot of times where we could have been like well i think that this would be cool but like you just have to pull the trigger at some point and i think that once we kind of decided to do it it was we decided to do it and yeah i think going in with a mission helps I mean, granted, our mission has changed and we're actively working on changing it, but like going in with a broad idea was helpful. Otherwise, it would have just been a you know brewery and a bakery that had very little, if no cohesion and, and goals, drive, whatever you want to call it. And that, that was, I think that was a, a helpful piece as well. And it is community driven. That's the other thing uh, I think that uh, 
You know, we're looking at an industrial food model that is broken. And so these are alternatives on a community level. And as Joel said, uh, jobs for the community, even small. And so again, I, I return to the relationship idea and where you can develop local food security, you can develop community. And in essence, what I like to say, reconnecting rural values with urban realities and vice versa. And so it's, it's, a, it's a healthy community development. And, uh, and, and again, I, I like to just say it's, it's reconnecting the rural and the urban environments where people in the city uh, really know what farming and the grains and where their food is really coming from. And, and while it's nice to not only know your farmer, uh, nowadays it's very important to know what your, what your farmer's agronomic practices are relative to health and these existential issues, climate change, chemical toxicity uh, in the food systems and things like this. So it's kind of uh, getting more ground-based, more grassroots. And so that really is a, a big opportunity for a lot of other people to move into this space and develop their own community relationship. Using one of Don's uh, famous lines, uh, it, you know, kind of fits with the modern zeitgeist where, you know, we, we've got this big move away from, or at least a, a budding move away from mass production and, and particularly the food realm, but also this kind of focus on locality, like authentic locality, not just, you know, using it as a, as a bludgeon to get people into your business. And it kind of, Sean's, Sean always said this originally when we were working and people were asking why and all of those things was, if you live on the coast, he would have started a seafood place but we live in Grainland, so why wouldn't you do grain things? And I, I think that fitting that really kind of is the, the big piece is do something that fits within your location. I, I feel like a lot of places, and it's not everything, but a lot of places that try to do something completely outside of where they're at, that has like no synergy with production in the area or farming or whatever it is, generally struggle a lot more. Um, but if you can, I mean, as Don mentioned, when we like, when things were going south three months ago, people were running out of flour. We have tons and tons and tons of grain from farmers that we can pull from that's a 40 minute drive away. Do things that are close, do things that make sense. And like, you know, what Ted said too, that you have to, you know, sometimes pull the trigger. And I think one of the core values is uh, relative again to the, the current contemporary or modern zeitgeist of what's going on uh, where you see a lot of tension uh, in, in the society, we come down on the side that these values that we uh, are approach is simply the right thing to do. And that doesn't mean it's easy. And it's not easy. But there is a strong motivation to wanting to do what we think is the right thing to do. And we think other people are on a parallel thought process. And if we can help others move in that direction, like you say, we're an open book. And thank you so much, you guys, for being open books. Thanks again, Joel, Don, Sean, and Teddy for taking the time to chat with us today. Tune in in two weeks for our next episode where we'll talk about land-raised grains and what makes them different with Don Showerman, Richard Showerman, and Glenn Roberts with Anson Mills in South Carolina. Until then, thank you so much for listening and make sure to follow Idaho Food Works on both Facebook and Instagram and keep your eye out for a short video that will be posted next week.